Amen. Thank you, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Good evening. Y'all doing all right? Let me tell you, I had lunch with the Cook Clan this afternoon. That is a real treat right there. I enjoyed that. That was a blessing. All right, if you got a Bible, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 tonight. 1 Peter chapter 2. So we're continuing through our series on evangelism. And tonight I want to talk about the why of our witness. The why of our witness. You know, when it comes to things in life, sometimes we want to know the how. We want to just... We don't necessarily want to know why something. We just, just, just tell me how to do it. But we really need the why to fuel the how. And many, many things in life, if we don't have a strong enough why, um, we just won't have the motivation to do it. If I tell one of my kids, you know, let, let's go for a ride. You know, that vague dad thing, you know, where he doesn't tell you what's going on. And, um, and the kid, they're playing. They don't want to go. They say, they'll say, why? Why do you want to go on a ride, Dad? And then I say, well, I want to go get some ice cream. Well, all of a sudden, the motivation changes. They're ready to ride. The why makes all the difference. Let me give you another example. Dieting. <laughs> some people have tried that. Um... When you're young, you want to diet so you can look good. You care about the now. That's your why. Then you get a little bit older and get a little bit wiser. And you, you get a little, bit long, lo, a little more long-term perspective. And the doctor says, son, you're starting to, you've been eating like a Baptist preacher for too long. If you don't change your diet, you're going to die. Well, you have a, a little bit stronger why all of a sudden to change your diet. Well, let's take it one step further. Let's say you're getting older, but not just getting more mature physically, but more mature spiritually. And one day, let's say you're reading the Bible and you come to the part where Paul tells us that our bodies are temples of the spirit of the living God. And you, and you feel the spirit telling you, you know what? You haven't been taking good care of your body and you need to take better care so you can serve the Lord with all the energy and strength that you have for as long as you can so you can enjoy the greatest eternal reward in him. Well, that's a stronger why. And notice what has happened. You're not thinking about how you look now anymore. You're not even thinking about how long you live this life, a longer perspective, but now you're thinking even longer. You're thinking about the eternity with the Lord. So why really does make all the difference. And so, among other things, 
Tonight I want to talk about the why of evangelism. So we're going to read in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. And let's stand together uh, as we read God's word. First, uh, First Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The word of God. You may be seated. So, the first thing I want us to look at is look at the language that he uses there in verse 9, talking about the church. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, this language actually in the Old Testament is used to refer to Israel. God uses this language to the nation of Israel. And yet in the New Testament, similarly as we talked about this morning, Peter applies it to the church. He sees the church as the people of God, those who are truly a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, look at, the, look at these terms and, what, and think about what they emphasize. A chosen race. That, that gives the sense of, uh, <clears throat> of, of setting apart among many, taking and setting apart some for himself. Or what about a royal priesthood? Well, who got to be priests in the Old Testament? Not everybody, but only the few. A few were set apart. Not only that, but a royal priesthood. In other words, a pre- were priests and kings before the Lord. A holy nation, that is, holy just means set apart. A people for his own possession. All those terms signify, all those terms are different ways of saying that we are set apart by God from the world for himself. There is a separation. There is a calling out that God is doing. And think about it. In Christ, we are being transferred From one kingdom to another, one family to another, one worldview to another, one way of living to another, one way of thinking to another. We are being called from one master 
to another one, a better one. We are being called from darkness to the light. God has separated us from the world and from our old selves and is making us something new for himself. We belong to him. And notice in verse 9 why he says God is doing this. You are a chosen race, the royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is, that the root of our proclamation is our salvation. Because God has called us out of the pit, the purpose for which he has called us out of the pit is so that we can go back into the pit and bring others out with us. That's why God has done it. He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light that we may proclaim his excellencies. So when <clears throat> so God has has worked God has changed us. God has called us out from the way we used to be. He has given us a new way of looking at the world. And sometimes, sometimes, I mean, the longer you walk with the Lord, sometimes you can forget where you were before. I think we should work hard to remember. How, where we were before in the pit that God has called us out of. Because that will remind us what a great thing God has done for us. And if God really has transferred us in all these different ways from one place to another, from one thing to another, we are changed, we will be changed, and people will know the difference. You have a new sun, as I like to say, in the center of your solar system. Everything else in life that happened before feels like waste and rubbish, Paul called it. And Christ becomes, as I talked about this morning, your ultimate identity. We are... Before anything else, we are Christ's. If someone asks me, who are you? I'll, I'll say, we should say, it doesn't matter who I am, it matters whose I am. We belong to Christ and that makes all the difference. When you have a, a child and they do something you're proud of, you say, that's my, that's my child. God looks at you and he says, that's mine. And we look up to God and say, I'm yours. There's no blessing like that. And if Christ is indeed this to you, the most important thing in your life, guess what? People talk about what's important to them. You know, if we hung out a lot and spent a lot of time together, 
And let's say, you know, let's say we work together at the same place. And, and then let's say we worked there together for two years. We talked a lot. And then, and then you know, my wife comes to visit me at work. And, and, they, and you say, you have a wife? Two years and you never talked about your wife? Something's not right. Right? You talk about what's important to you. That would be weird. But here's the thing in our culture. And uh, you can look back at the history to see how it's developed. But basically we've been sold a bill of goods that is that your faith is private and therefore has no place in the public square. Therefore, you should just keep that to yourself. And we've suddenly bought into that because it's like, because basically what the world is telling us, you can talk about everything that's important to you except the thing that's most important to you. But I want to suggest to you that there's no reason to do that. That is that we as Christians, we must learn to own our faith. If you have been changed such that you now look at the world through Christian eyes and you interpret the world through the, the, through the Christian worldview and you now think in Christian terms, then, then speak like it. Let me give you an example. If something very fortunate happens in someone's life, don't say, wow, what luck. We don't believe in luck. The Bible says that God controls the roll of every dice. Don't say, oh, what luck. Say, what a blessing from the Lord. Tell them what it is. Interpret it correctly for them. Own your faith. When someone is going through a hard time, don't just say, oh, man, I'm sorry. Say, my goodness, I'm so sorry. Can I pray for you right now about it? Own it. It's who you are. It's reality. Own your faith. It's okay. We have to learn to get comfortable in our Christian skin because it's, it's who we are. And, and I know that the, the prevailing culture, it, just, it, it kind of makes us feel uncomfortable. But look, we just have to... We just have to learn to feel comfortable in our Christian skin, to not be ashamed to be a Christian. There's the subtle pressure that's exerted that just kind of makes you want to be quiet. But look, God rules the world. We are kings. We will reign with Christ. Trust in his sovereign goodwill and just have confidence not in yourself but just in who Christ is he's going to work it out and we have to learn to feel comfortable in our Christian skin because it's who we are and my fear and, and I say this to myself as well myself included I feel that one of the reasons my, why we may not talk more about our walk with the Lord is because our walk with the Lord isn't as strong as it needs to be. In the book, I was 
I was quite convicted when uh, the sharing Jesus uh, without freaking out. This is what he says. He says, a big reason we don't talk to unbelievers about Jesus is because we don't talk to one another about Jesus. You know, I've been in some gatherings that were almost totally Christian believers, and yet it almost felt like it would be awkward if I brought up Christianity or if I brought up talking about if I brought up something, you know, because sometimes we have this sense of I don't want to be that person who over-spiritualizes everything. Can you over-spiritualize something? I mean, there, we all have met that person who, like, sees a demon behind every tree, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. But, but why do we feel awkward around other Christians talking about Jesus outside of the church building? That doesn't make any sense. Jesus Christ isn't just Lord inside the church building. He's Lord everywhere all the time. And if he's an integral part, if he's the air we breathe, then... We shouldn't be awkward about that. We should, we should feel confident and comfortable talking about Christ. And, and if we don't feel comfortable talking about him with other Christians, my goodness, how are we going to talk about him to non-believers? We have to learn to be comfortable in our Christian skin. To really, to really, to not be afraid to just vocalize what's on our heart, what the Lord is teaching us. To not... You know, to not to get over the get over ourselves and the fear of sounding over spiritual and just say, look, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what the Lord's teaching me. It's okay. We have to learn to feel comfortable in our Christian skin. Next, I want you to look at what Paul talks about what we are to proclaim. It says that we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Some, some translations say praises. You know, when something has changed you for the better and you have seen its power at work in your life and you love it and, and, and it has really changed you, you talk about it to other people. How do you know that? Because there are people... Uh oh, I'm gonna get in trouble here. Hold on. <laughs> I'm gonna change my analogy. Hold on a minute. <laughs> it's it's nothing really, but look. Okay, let's just okay. There's an example, and and I'll say this because I don't know I don't know if they work or not. I mean, some people swear by them, you know, and and. Actually, they have worked some for us, but that's, that, that's what I'm talking about. Essential oils, okay? Some people, some people will say, they, they'll say it changed their life. They will. Well, but, you know, they use them and, you know, they, you know, they didn't get sick or whatever, or this or that. And, but what's the point? The point is they use them, and as far as they can tell, they're really working, really improving the quality of their life. And guess what? There are people who all they want to talk about is essential oils. <laughs> I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's the way it is. I know, I know, but it's true of everything. I know some people who you, you've heard of the, that, the new kind of workout craze, CrossFit. It's very popular. I know lots of people who have done CrossFit, and 
They've lost a ton of weight. They're more healthier than they've ever been. And they will, and you, you get them talking about CrossFit and they just go on and on and on. They can't stop talking about it. Why? Because, from, because in their life, it's changed their life for the better. Let me tell you something, folks. Nothing changes your life like Jesus Christ. We can, we can, if a person can go and say, look how CrossFit can change my life. I can go to someone and say, look how Christ has changed my life. He's changed me. We proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who, what in the world has more excellencies to talk about than the Lord God Almighty? His kindness, his grace, his mercy, his power, his comfort, his love, his chain-breaking, even his wrath and his justice. God has infinite excellencies. And so we can talk about him to others. So we proclaim the, the root of our proclamation is our salvation. That's the why. God has called us out that through us he may call others out. But that's not all this text says. Look again now in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Notice what Peter is saying. He calls us sojourners and exiles. If you think about it, he's keeping in straight line with what we talked about at the first. Uh, a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We are set apart by God, for God. And then in verse 11, he calls us then sojourners and exiles. What is a sojourner and an exile? A sojourner is someone living long-term in a place that's not their home. The Bible says, in Christ, we are sojourners. The problem and the great danger for the Christian then is that sometimes we get to thinking that this is our home. But we don't belong here. And because we live in this age, but we belong to the age to come, we are to already live out now what God has destined us to be then. That is that we are 
to be holy. Because we are citizens of a different kingdom and of a greater king. You know, there's this expression that we in the South like to use. And that is that you can take the boy out of the South, but... I knew knew y'all would like that. It should be said of Christians that we are not yet in heaven, but heaven has been put into us. I've traveled out of the south. You have too, many of you. You go somewhere outside the south. You open your mouth. People say, you're not from around here. (laughs) And it really shocks people because, you know, my mother's Thai, but most people think I'm Hispanic (laughs) when they see me. And when I open the mouth and this accent comes out, they say, what are you exactly? You leave the South and people can't help but notice that you're not from here. As you live your life, people ought to say, you don't belong here, do you? You ought to have a Christian accent, a Christian air about your life. That people look at you and they can't put a finger on it, but they say, he's not of this, he's not from here, he's not of this world. There is something not, there is something unnatural, supernatural in there. That person is different. They don't belong here. They're not from here. And a key part of that is our Holiness, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Let me tell you something. We so often, hear me now, myself included, we toy with sin, but look, the devil is trying to kill you. It's a war. And we treat it like a trip to the mall. Our holiness, our pure conduct in life tells people that we are from another place. If a person came in and they looked Chinese and they had a Chinese accent and they invite you over for lunch and they cook Chinese food and they have Chinese books On their shelves, you might conclude that they were born in China. But if you see a person who lives a holy and pure life, who speaks graciously and kindly to others, who puts others before himself, who has a humble heart, who speaks freely about their walk with the Lord, their struggles, and their victories, 
and what Jesus Christ means to them and how he changed them, you will rightly conclude that person has not been born but has been reborn in heaven. And he is visiting here for a while and he's going to go home soon. And so Peter calls us to live a holy life. It goes hand in hand with our proclamation of the excellencies of God. They have to go together. We must live above reproach. If we have sin in our lives, we need to confess it, not just to God, but to other people. Other believers who will listen and hear and understand and hold you accountable and help you. Peter is teaching us here that good deeds adorn our witness. He says, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter recognized it was happening in his day. It happens in every generation. It's happening today and increasingly so that Just because you are a Christian, you will automatically be accused of being evil. Peter says, do good anyway. Why? Talked about this last Wednesday as going through the book of James this past Wednesday. Let me tell you something. Anybody can repay evil for evil. You don't need the Holy Spirit to do that. But when you're treated wrong and you do good to those who wrong you, heaven shines through you. And Jesus Christ is lifted up. Because Jesus did good to those who wronged him. That is not natural. That is supernatural. And people will see it. And the Bible says that they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's interesting. When Christ comes back, he will judge the living and the dead. He will vindicate those who trusted in him. And even those who did not repent, even as they're being judged for their sin by the Lord Jesus Christ... They will have to give glory to God for the good deeds of the saints, even though they rejected them. Because they will have known, even though they didn't refuse to accept it, as they saw the good deeds of the saints, deep down they knew that righteousness dwelt in the people of God. And they refused to see it. So we live a holy life and it adorns our gospel. So as I conclude tonight, God has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light so that we may proclaim his excellency.
So often we overthink evangelism, I think. Don't overthink it. If you're an artist and you see a masterpiece, the most natural thing for you to do is go to your other friends and say, my goodness, you have to see this piece of, you have to see this. If you're a musician and you know good music and you listen to a musical prodigy, you go to your friends and you say, my goodness, you have to hear this. If you're a Christian and you have been adopted into the eternal family of Almighty God, you will go to your friends and say, my goodness, you have to meet him. You have to meet him. You have to meet my Lord, my Jesus, my Christ. That's all it is. That's all it is. That's all it is. Inviting people to meet our Lord. And the invitation stands today. If there's anyone in here. And you may say, man, I've heard a lot about Jesus, but I'm not sure I've ever actually met him. I, I invite you, come meet him today. Meet my Jesus today. I'll be standing down here in the front. You can come talk to me.